Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined, as always, by Bruce Feldman. Bruce, I had a lot of fun watching the games on Saturday. It just seemed like there was there was there were so many eventful developments and crazy plays, and um, also a very noteworthy post-game sideline reporter interview that you had with Gary Patterson. When did you realize Max was different than your average freshman quarterback? Well, when we recruited him. I mean, he's a great kid, great family, everything. His future is very bright. Your voice is gone. Is this going to be a feeling of joy, or what? What's going on from here? Hell yeah! How did you keep it together when you when when he, once he opened his mouth? You know, I so after that happened, I go back to my hotel room. I mean, we had a great game. It was just very competitive back and forth. It was a beautiful day out there. TCU is a fun place to be at. So I got back to my hotel room. I'm pretty pretty exhausted, and I saw someone had posted that that very part of the interview. There was a little more of it. I think that was like pretty much half the interview that I did, and. I knew that I was like, man, am I keeping a straight face during this? Because as soon as he, I didn't quite pick up on it because it was really loud around us. They had stormed the field. But on that, uh, right around that question, I was like, man, he sounds, oh my God, he sounds just like Sam Kinison. That's who it is. Because I'm like, <laughs> who does he sound like? And, you know, he had lost his voice, not to that degree, but when I talked to him coming out of this halftime and I said, he, he was just like, we got to play our defense. we got to play our defense. And he kept on saying it like that, like very high-pitched and at the same time raspy. So then I was like, I had another question to ask, but I was like, it was so pronounced. And it was like, he can barely talk. So uh, thankfully, you know, my producer, Bo Garrett, is in my ear, not always during that, but he was like, man, I, all I heard Bo say was, his voice, what is going on with his, what is going on with his voice? And so, uh, so I reacted to it and I asked him about it. And I, all I heard him say was, hell yeah, I don't know if there was more to it or not. But you, know, you go into that into that thing, and right before, the, before uh, the game ends, the guy I want to talk to is Max Duggan. He played his butt off, and he made one clutch throw after the other. He's a true freshman quarterback from, from Iowa. They beat a bunch of big schools to get him. And so I asked Mark Cohen, the SID, I was like, hey, we really want a Max. And he goes... Gary doesn't let freshmen talk. And I was like, he just won the game. He basically put the offense on his back. And he said, I'll ask. And then there's just mayhem that goes on. They're storming the field. Gary's walking all over the place. I'm, you know, hustling after him with a camera guy. And at that point, uh, you know, it's like he's not going to be able to say, yeah, we're going to let Max do it or whatever. So it's like, okay, just react. Now instead you're talking to Gary instead. And it was an interesting moment. It dawned on me because after I started seeing that show up on social media quite a bit, and our buddy Max Olson had actually had actually texted me about Gary's voice at one point, um, I was like, you know, I had one other moment. It wasn't a post game; it was actually a pregame that kind of went viral. And it was at the Texas TCU game. It was the Texas band and my little run-in with them. And I was like, wow, weird stuff happens. I've done this game three of the last four years. 
and two of them have a, have a very, very curious moments. Um, so I'd like to well, talk Wait a to- minute. I, rem- I thought you were going to say the ones I remember going viral were when you were doing it. Was it, it was either Texas TC or Texas, Texas Tech where it was pouring and people were getting on you about the hat you were wearing? You know what? That and was then- Texas TC. That was Texas, Texas Tech. It was a Thanksgiving okay. night game in, I believe, Lubbock. I should know this. Um, but yeah, that was a while back. I remember I remember Tim said at one point he said, Looks like it's eased up that on that. I'm like, You're in a booth. <laughs> Shut up. It's pouring. It's worse now. Um, but no, this was uh the this was when I was doing a pregame hit with Rob Stone and the band literally I'm there were so many people on the field it was like there was almost nowhere to stand and I was in the line of where the band's formation was going where later I mean people can see the video up on it so anyway that was also Texas TCU I do want to talk about Texas a little bit later because that was a big win for TCU and it was a it's a tough loss for Texas and I think we should hit on them um because of my game and the slotting in the middle of the day I didn't get to see any of the second half or almost none of the second half of of the crazy game with K-State and Oklahoma. I didn't get to see any of LSU-Auburn. I'm sure I'll be able to watch some of those during the week. But like you said, it was an eventful day. I mean, the one thing I also realized when I got back to my hotel room, we had a really sunny, nice day. I flip on just at the start of Michigan-Notre Dame, and it's a downpour and it seemed like almost every other place had really crappy weather but us yeah you got really lucky uh it was actually a pretty surreal day for me because i'm sitting on my couch in sunnyvale and it's 81 and sunny out that day however as people may know we, we have some pretty bad wildfires right now um about two hours from where i live and i'm watching you know these games on local abc or cbs and there's emergency evacuation alerts going up across the screen uh and then like you said i mean pretty much every game in the midwest the michigan state game the michigan game uh the ohio state game obviously that morning i mean it's it's the weather was terrible and the sideline reporters uh unlike yourself all i mean jenny taft is wearing a jacket with a hood over her uh, Maria Taylor, like they all had, they all looked like they had just been drenched for three and a half hours, which they had. So um, you did luck out on the weather a little bit there. In terms of what happened on the field, I thought Kansas State, I thought that could be a tricky game for Oklahoma because I think Kansas State, I thought Kansas State was decent uh, and was on the road. Of course, I would not have seen Kansas State going up at one point, 48 to 23. It was one of those kind of perfect storm all hell breaks loose third quarters because it was a one-point game at halftime but then it was just the floodgates opened Kansas State was just punishing them you know it was pretty um discouraging if you're an Oklahoma fan because just a couple weeks ago the storyline was how much improved their defense is under Alex Grinch and they had a great game against Texas and while two weeks later okay other people are having great games against Texas and Kansas State just humiliated your defense. Now, Jalen Hurts and that offense, I mean, he once they got down 48-23, he hits the long pass to C.D. Lamb. And they end up having a chance at the end to, I mean, they came within a half yard of recovering an onside kick. And a little bit of controversy there. From what I understand, it was called correctly, but some OU fans may disagree. 
Uh, and if they'd recovered it, they would have had a chance to go down and send it to overtime. So in the end, it looks more respectable than it probably was, uh, which which brings us to the topic of did was this the kind of loss that kills a team's playoff hopes, or can Oklahoma turn around, win out, win the Big Twelve, go to the playoff? So how much do you? First of all, hats off to Chris Kleiman. He's done a really really good job there at K State. He obviously won in a huge way at North Dakota State, and they're six and two now, right? And that's they ran for five almost five two. five and two. Sorry, ran for almost five yards a carry, put up over four hundred yards. That's a really good win. Um, but when it comes to Oklahoma, I want to ask you this because all I know is 48-41. If they don't score late, is it if it's 48 to to 36, 35, 34, something like that, does it feel a little bit like the Ohio State Iowa game? Does it feel like Ohio Ohio State Purdue? I mean, it wasn't it seems like it's closer than obviously the final score is closer. And that's what the committee, I felt like, dinged them was. It wasn't just like you lost to an unranked team. You lost badly to an unranked team. That's exactly right. So at 48-23, it did feel like Ohio State-Iowa. And when they did come back and make it close at the end, I did tweet something to the effect of, you know, that the only silver lining for Oklahoma is that they, they made it so that if they are on the, on the bubble at the end, the committee won't say that that was a bad loss. People vehemently disagreed, many people. Uh, and look, we don't know how exactly they would interpret it. I mean, if you, they will probably have watched the game, either in the, at that time or later. And one person could look at it and say, well, I know what the final score was, but you know, Kansas State dominated them. But I also kind of feel like there, it's one thing if a team is down. Here's an example. A team is down... Uh, 31-14 until the final seconds, and then the other team tacks on a touchdown to make it a little bit closer. To me, that's different than if they recover that onside kick, and they almost did, to having a chance to go down and send the game to overtime. So as much as they got their butts kicked for a good portion of that game, it kind of was a, it, it, I mean, it was a close game at the end. They really did have a chance to possibly send the game to overtime. So is it a bad loss as of today? Yes, uh, it is. I mean, you don't want to give up 48 points to anybody. But as we know, other teams are going to get upset down the stretch here. I know it always seems like every good team is going to win all the rest of their games. There will be more upsets. And if Oklahoma can turn around, and that's different than, I mean, the question is, can they? I don't know if that was a sign that more trouble is ahead or if they're going to brush it off like they have every year. Uh, in the last um, four years, I mean, they've this. We've seen this before. They lose at home to Iowa State. Everybody thinks they're done. They turn around and win out. Um, Let's cut to the chase, Stu. I have a question for you. So, Oklahoma sits now at seven and one. Their schedule, and I, I think our crew at Fox Sports is going to get them. I know we have them uh, against Iowa State, who just lost in Norman two weeks from now when they go back out. It's all, it's on the ninth. And then after that, they go to Baylor, who at this point is undefeated, and that's on the road. And then they have TCU, who's now got a little bit some life in them, and then they finish up with Bedlam. It's in Stillwater this year. So I suspect it, Baylor, even if they lose, will still be in the top 25. They're going to be ranked. Uh, I don't know where, where Iowa State, TCU, and Oklahoma State will be at that point. 
But let's say Oklahoma Oklahoma does run the table and comes out of this 12 and 1. Where do you think they would be in relationship in the committee's eyes compared to a 12 and 1 Oregon or a 12 and 1 Utah knowing by the way that well we don't know this for sure but that either one of those teams is probably going to have to play a top 15 and maybe a top 10 team to get out of the Pac-12. Boy, that went in a different direction than I was expecting. I was waiting for you to say, compared to the loser of the LSU-Alabama game. Everybody dismissed the the Pac-12 entirely after, I don't know, the first few weeks of the season, but here we are. You know, you wake up Sunday morning, Oregon's up to seven, Utah's up to nine. Uh, it's That's a good question. I think that, you know, I was talking to our OU writer, Jason Kersey, about Oklahoma's predicament, and... And I was pointing out, hey, you know, they they they've won, lost every year. They lose a game, and then they they win. I said, yeah, the difference is they had more chances to get those showcase wins at the end than they probably will this year. If if it really turns out that Baylor is their their you know their only chance at a quote unquote signature win, and that's probably true. So I think the best case scenario for the Pac-12 would be Oregon, Utah, winning the rest of their games up till then and playing a top 10 showdown in the Pac-12 championship game. Whoever wins gets a for sure marquee win. In that case, that probably does put them in over the Big 12 champ. I just don't have... I watched the Oregon-Washington State game the other night. I'm actually going to go to the Oregon-USC game this week. I don't know if that team can run the table. They they like to live dangerously. That, that Washington State game should never have gone down to them um, falling behind with a minute left and needing a last-second field goal to win. Whereas, gotta say, Utah looks really good. They are crushing people. Okay, so let's now let's go to the area that you thought I was going to, which is a the other team, not the not the team that wins the SEC, but the team that is probably going to be eleven and one. And I suspect that's either that's the loser. And it's not a lock that this is going to happen, obviously. But that's the loser of LSU and Alabama. Now, I think if it's LSU, they're going to have a much stronger argument than Alabama will. Because if, if Alabama loses, the only win they're going to have of substance on their schedule would be Auburn. And Auburn would have at least three losses. But Auburn obviously would have beaten Oregon. So if I'm an, if I'm an Alabama fan, if that scenario starts to shape up, I'm rooting for Oregon to come out of the Pac-12 because if it's Utah, even though Utah lost at USC, which is not a, obviously a great team, there isn't quite that head-to-head kick around that they could have. I don't know that that head-to-head thing would come in because one game was played the first week of the season, the other would have been played the last week. It of the still season. was played, Stu. You can't just throw it out. You can't. Well, but how much do you really glean from that? You're saying that if Alabama kicks Auburn's saying. butt then the deciding factor could be, well, but Oregon lost that team in the first week of the season. Here's the, I, here's I the problem, know. though, I think for if you're an Alabama fan, you're sitting here looking at the rest of, of your resume. It would if they, if they lose that game, it's Auburn, and that is it. I know, and that's why this, to me, feels different than two years ago uh, when Alabama got in at 11-1. and one. Uh it wasn't a great resume. If I recall, they had two top 25 wins against LSU and Mississippi State, and I think the highest one was ranked 17th, something like that. We're talking about the possibility of only one top 25 win, and Auburn by then might be 
eight and four. They've got to play Georgia too. And they have Texas A&M, but here's what's what's what Texas A&M is five and three right now. They haven't even gone to play LSU and Georgia. They have them back to back. So even if they let's say they beat South Carolina, which I would think they will, and UTSA, I mean Texas A&M, which would probably be their second best win, is staring at seven and five. They're not getting ranked at seven and five. And Alabama's non-conference is terrible. So yeah, they're they're the team that has been in the playoff all you know they're the given. But if they don't win that game, Tua or not, I think that's going to be a tough selling point for the committee when, they're, when their non-conference is so bad. This is a pretty much impossible question to answer now, but we're going to get a lot more insight, obviously, in the next couple of weeks. For one thing, even before we get to the Alabama-LSU game, the committee is going to issue their first rankings on that Tuesday night beforehand. And I'm fascinated to see how they handle Alabama. Alabama's... LSU finally passed Alabama for number one in the AP poll, but Alabama is still number one in the coaches poll. It would not surprise me at all if they are number three behind Alabama and Ohio State. I mean, LSU and Ohio State, and possibly even number four behind Clemson because of that schedule. Their schedule so far is really bad to this point. Their opponents are 24 and 39 combined record. Ohio State, and everybody says they played a soft schedule for Wisconsin. Ohio State's opponents... 36 and 26 that's uh that's a big difference there so so what i'm saying is if those first rankings come out and alabama's lower by one to two maybe even three spots than they are in the polls then that tells me that they probably won't be able to overcome a loss because then how are they going to bounce back in whereas if the if it comes out and the committee feels the same way the voters do that alabama is the number one or two team in the country that they've you know for, for whatever questions you want to ask about them, they've pretty much handled everybody they've played so far. They killed Arkansas the other night without their quarterback. Uh, then I would say, okay, this could be a 2017-type situation. Now, if it's the other way around and LSU loses, that's where it gets really interesting because you're right. They could, at 11-1, and one, they will have a pretty darn good resume with the wins over Texas, Florida, Auburn, you know, A&M still to come. A&M is not going to be a resume builder. They're going to be a 7-5 and five team. But will it, do you think it'll be a better re- resume than that 12-1 Pac-12 champ or that 12-1 Big 12 champ? Probably. And, probably. And that's what we haven't seen yet, question. by the way, so far. We've yet to see. We've seen two teams that didn't win their conference, Ohio State 2016 and Alabama 2017, get in. But it was that they got in over two lost teams. We haven't yet seen... 11 and 1 versus 12 and 1 champ what that would look like Stu let me ask a question I don't want to ask it to you I want to ask it to our producer former Feinbaum protege Penn State loyalist Penn State grad John Hayes who I believe once got a Hackenberg tattoo on his shoulder I don't know if he's got it I definitely don't have that Bruce I can tell you that (laughs) John, John let me ask you this so this the first poll will come out before Penn State goes to Minnesota but Penn State has wins over a, a now a six and two Michigan team, as well as a six and two Iowa team, and that was on the road. Could you make a case, you, that Penn State should be ranked ahead of Alabama? One hundred percent. At the end of the season, if both teams are sitting there at eleven and one. Well, no, I'm not saying that because they're going to have to go to Columbus. I'm saying at the first poll where Stu was talking about how Alabama might be behind Clemson. I mean, to me, Penn State's resume is better than both of theirs at this point. 
Yeah, I, I can't make the case for that now. I mean, the, the eye test is pretty simple. You know, you have a healthy two, a tongue of ILO, and Bama's better than Penn State. That's that's just a fact. I don't care what the resumes say, but at the end of the season, if you want to talk resumes, I'm here for it because an 11-1 and Penn State with a close loss against Ohio State might be a better resume than an 11-1 and Bama with a close loss against LSU. Especially the Ohio State game is in Columbus, by the way. That's true. I mean, everybody assumes that if there's two teams from a conference, it'd be SEC, and nobody's really entertained. Could it be the two Big Ten teams? Um, which, by the way, if that ends up happening, Ohio State, if Ohio State and Penn State both go into that game undefeated, both ten and zero, I that's been a long time since two. We just saw the stat that that, uh, and it's a crazy stat that on November 9th, eight no Minnesota versus eight no Penn State, and. Uh, 8-0 LSU, 8-0 LSU versus 8-0 Alabama. That has never happened in the AP poll era, two of those games on the same day. It's been a long time since two 10-0 teams met in the regular season. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I mean, John's right. I, I, I think Penn State's really good, but I test. Uh, pretty nice, pretty decisive win the other day, obviously, at Michigan State, but they've had a lot of close calls. Um, my question to you, you guys would be, uh, after watching what Ohio State did to Wisconsin, after watching what Michigan did to Notre Dame, if Ohio State's going to lose a game, which one would be more likely? Home game against Penn State or the following week's game at Michigan? John, why don't you go first? It's at Michigan. There's no doubt about it. And I, I probably wouldn't have said that a week ago, but... No, you uh, definitely wouldn't have said that. You were, you were the guy who was like, moral victory. <laughs> I certainly was. They kicked the crap out of Notre Dame the other night. I don't. I mean, Notre Dame is a separate discussion I feel like we need to have after this. But they are definitely getting better. They are much better. Like, I feel like one of the things I thought was the looked like the wrongest thing I predicted in the preseason, which was that Michigan would have the best offensive line in the country. They don't, but they now look like they have a very good offensive line. They, they ran all over Notre Dame, and they have a, an identity now on offense. And I, no one's going to put – uh, Shea Patterson as a Heisman kind of guy, but he's playing pretty well. He makes plays with his legs, and they have good enough receivers to give people problems. I'm not picking them to beat Ohio State at this point because I think Ohio State is so much different than they were the last few years, and we've talked about that a little. I'm sure we're going to talk about that a lot over the next couple of weeks. But um, to me, I think that's a more challenging situation, but I'm curious to see – what I don't think this is so much even the offense. It's like, can Don Brown's defense do anything to slow down an Ohio State offense with a lot of speed and a lot of skill? And by the way, J.K. Dobbins and all the how great Chase Young is, and he is, and here's Justin Field. I feel like J.K. Dobbins has gotten kind of lost in the shuffle a little bit because everyone's talked about Jonathan Taylor, and now all of a sudden we're like, whoa, this J.K. Dobbins, who was terrific as a freshman and very productive – has been running wild this year. We actually, in our Heisman straw poll that went up Monday morning, 50 voters across the athletics college football team, three of the top six vote-getters were Ohio State players. Chase Young, number two, uh, Justin Fields, number five, and uh, J.K. Dobbins, number six. That's unheard of. What was your one, two, and three, Stu, personally? Yeah, I went. Uh, I've ha- I had Joe Burrow one. I've had him there for a few weeks now. Chase Young, though, who I hadn't really considered uh, until this this performance against Wisconsin, I did put number two, and then number three I had Jalen Hurts. 
because he he wasn't the reason they lost to Kansas State the other day. He still had 490 yards of offense. It's tough to leave Tua out, but obviously he hasn't played in a week and a half. What was yours? Uh, I have Chase Young number one. A lot of that was fueled by just seeing not just how dominant he is, but also how much they feed off of his energy. I think that's different. It wasn't. I was around the teams, Ohio State teams, when they had the Bosa's, and they've had obviously a lot of great players there. It didn't quite feel that way. I'm not saying he's more talented than them, or no, it's not. I just feel like his presence is something they really feed off of in addition to just being a dominant playmaker. I have Joe Burrow, two, and I have Hurts, three, for the same reason. Now, look, if Joe Burrow leads LSU to a win over Alabama there and they they win the, the SEC title, he's going to be hard to beat. I really think that. But, I, you know, look, unlike Ndamukong and Sue 10 years ago, people are talking about, and I'm not just talking about like Ohio State diehards, like a lot of us in the national media are talking about Chase Young as a serious Heisman candidate in late October. He's got a chance to continue to get momentum, whereas I feel like Ndamukong and Sue didn't get that kind of uh, accreditation and kind of buzz until really like around the, the Big 12 title game, which at that point, it's almost too late. Yeah, it it it, it was... His performance in the Big 12 title game still may be the, the best defensive performance I've ever seen. I looked it back up for the forward pass uh, comparison on Monday. I don't think you're ever going to often see a guy have uh, four sacks, seven, 12 tackles, four sacks, and seven and a half tackles for a loss. He almost single-handedly won the Big 12 title game. Uh, I'll be interested to see if the Chase Young Heisman bandwagon will continue its momentum i think that saturday was one of these uh moments where everybody was watching that game right he was the highest rated uh, credit to your employer for this strategy of putting the big games at noon it ended up being the most watched game of the day even more than the michigan Notre Dame primetime game uh everybody was watching this guy is putting on a show gus and joel are starting to drum put up the heisman drum beat if you're on Twitter during that game, uh, people are saying it's the best defensive performance I've seen in, in my whole career. Uh, the next morning, PFF uh, tweets it's the highest grade they've ever given a defensive end. Um, so we all got caught up in that, and, and he's a great player. He's so far ahead of everybody else in sacks. But you know how it is with defensive players, and in particular defensive linemen. He could be the same great player every week, like Mex games Maryland in two weeks. But it's just not realistic you're going to put up stats every week. So on November 9th, Alabama plays LSU. Let's say both Tua and Joe Burrow have fantastic games. And then Chase Young does his Chase Young thing, but it ends up with like one sack and three tackles. Does everybody just immediately forget about him again? I don't think everybody does. But look, what also could happen is <laughs> there's a there's a quirk that I think is going to go to what I'm about to say. But... Tua and Joe Burrow, if they do put up, continue to put up big numbers, could split the Southern boat. What what also could happen is Joe Burrow, because there's a lot of people in the Midwest, especially in Ohio, who have an affinity for him because he was he didn't play much at Ohio State, but he was very well regarded and still is is well connected there, and they still have an affinity for him. So maybe he'll get some of the Chase Young votes. I don't know how that's going to play out. It's too early to really dig too far into it, but. There's something to be said for his candidacy. Um, I wonder if Ohio right, so, State fans will do what Alabama fans did, where they 
at first were like, oh, good for Jalen Hurts, glad to see him doing well. And then when it started to look like he might trump their guy Tua for the Heisman, like, oh, he was never that good here. <laughs> He's playing soft Big 12 defense. If the Ohio State fans' affinity for Joe Burrow might go out the window if it looks like he might win the Heisman over their guy. But that's that's a long ways away. I think it'll go out the window if they have to face him in the playoff, maybe. Oh, for sure. Stopping short of that. Uh, but back so to I'm the question I asked you a little bit ago. Uh, you know, Michigan looked great the other night, and it was interesting to read um, Nick Baumgartner's analysis of it for The Athletic. He, he's been covering them throughout Harbaugh's tenure and is really good with the X's and O's, and it seems like what happened was they just went back to last year's offense, or they at least you know meshed it a little bit better with what they're trying to do this year, and they just ran the ball, you know, the way they were running the ball last year when they won ten games in a row. So um, credit to them. I know I've been hard on Harbaugh at times. Credit to him. Credit to Gaddis. But if you guys think Michigan has a chance of being Ohio State, you're nuts. I mean, that's the talent gap there, which has already been there for however many years has only widened i mean this ohio state's beaten them every year since 2012 and this may be ohio state's best team yet during that run the one that intrigues me is penn state uh, and i know the games in columbus but that team what that team has so i think if you're going to be if whenever somebody finally beats ohio state this year if they do it's probably not going to be a 13 to 7 game uh not realistic but they do have one of the best, if not the best, defenses in the country. So maybe they can at least slow down Dobbins and Justin Fields. And then what they have on offense are some guys like K.J. Hamler and Noah Kane uh, and others that you might be able to hold that offense down for most of the game, but they are capable of breaking a 70-yard touchdown. So that, to me, would be the better formula. I don't think doing to Michigan doing what they did to Notre Dame the other night to Ohio State is realistic. But Penn State possibly bringing their po- best possible game to Columbus, uh, playing good defense, and then popping a few big plays might, might be the best shot of beating them. Okay, let me ask you, Stu. Uh, we talked a little bit about Michigan just crushing Notre Dame. Notre Dame got embarrassed. They had a, By the way, they had a bye week. And this it feels a lot like what Wisconsin did to Michigan – was what Michigan did to Notre Dame. You know, it's like you came off a bye week and that's how you played. So what do we make of this this Notre Dame team that went to that went to Georgia a month ago and lost, but acquitted itself pretty well. Here, they went up to Michigan and got their butts kicked. If you're a Notre Dame fan, are you just going like, all right, this is my reality where we're a ten and two kind of team, and maybe there's going to be a clunker because they got they got embarrassed at Miami a few years ago, and a Miami team that wasn't all that good did it to them. We've mm-hmm. seen them get annihilated. We saw them get annihilated by Clemson last year. So, what is it about them? I don't know. It's a it's a it's it's puzzling because it's one thing to go down to Georgia and lose a close game, but it's another thing to get embarrassed like that and I know it was in a driving rainstorm and whatnot but they had a extra week to prepare Michigan had to play at Penn State the week before they were off uh and from the very early outside of that game you could just tell this is not going to be their night uh Ian Book can't do anything uh it just it didn't look like Notre Dame from the first six games of the season so it's I'm sure it's very frustrating for Notre Dame fans 
feels like they're always right on the cusp and then something like this happens how do they respond from here like will that turn out to be kind of fluky because if they turn around and win out and they're 10 and 2 uh, that's still a really good season uh, it is playoff, they're no they're not yeah. getting in the playoff after the way they got got handled no, there no but care did, did anybody happened, so. outside of maybe diehard Notre Dame fans think they were going to get back to the playoff this year 10 and 2 is exactly where i thought they would be it's just uh, and that'll probably get it was them how they lost. Game. They were not even competitive in this game, though. Still, they were yeah. not even competitive. No, I agree. And the part that I do wonder about, and maybe I'm, I'm looking at this too much in a vacuum, but like I said, it's like once a year I feel like this team, no matter how good they are, just gets absolutely throttled, and it's it's I don't I I don't think this is a case of like oh Clemson has you know, next level talent. I don't feel like the talent gap between that team they played and Notre Dame on Saturday night is, it's not that big. It's just not. I mean, what possibly is going, is adding to this is, and I wrote this uh, before the Georgia game. They've also had a lot of games over the last four or five years against top five, type 10, top 10 teams that they almost won, whether it was the Clemson game that came down to a two-point conversion in the in the driving rain or uh, against Jameis Winston in Florida State on the pick play that, that negated their touchdown. You know, there's been a lot of those, and they just haven't won them. If they had won a couple of them, if they had a couple recent examples of Notre Dame showing it can beat uh, one of the best teams in the country, then is it a little bit easier to stomach one of these meltdown games because as it is it's okay we're close we're close we're close ah oh, tremendous setback i don't know i don't know what i you know i don't know what it is this one like i was surprised to see them i wouldn't have been surprised to see them lose by seven i was surprised to see it look like they just didn't show up you know i didn't feel like even when clemson whipped them they were being competitive at least in the first half and then a couple of things didn't go their way and then all of a sudden it was like, okay, Clemson just took over. This was a case like it just seemed like they just never got – I think Kirk Herbstreit said this on the broadcast. It was like they just no-showed. And, man, I, I'm curious. I'll be curious to see how they finish out the rest of the year uh, with that because it's not like they don't have any players. They do. Um, I don't know. That was a surprise to me. Again, not, not a shock that Michigan won that game. But, again, to come off a bye week and play that way, that's – maybe I'm putting too much stock into a bye week in, in late October, and I just I just feel like you'd be a lot more focused in on that. They've got Virginia Tech coming to town this week. Virginia Tech is 5-2, and two, but I don't think there's much respect for them. They opened as a 16-point underdog. And then looking ahead at the end of the year – well, first of all, they play Navy, who has been one of the – quietly been one of the surprise teams this season after having a really rough year last year. Uh, they are off to a 6-1 and one start – this season beat Tulane the other night. It's like Army and Navy have reversed where they were last year. It was like almost like the last two years were kind of fluky, and now all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is back to where it was. The Army thing's really puzzling because after the Michigan game, uh, we were ready to knight uh, Monk. We were ready to knight Jeff Monken, and we just assumed like they'll win almost all their games from here, and they have a losing record right now. So that is that is puzzling. Uh but anyway, yeah, and they play at Stanford at the end of the year, who 
showed some spark finally some life the other night kj costello came back after missing several weeks and they beat arizona so badly that arizona fired their defensive coordinator so that has not been an easy game for the irish either i think if they do win all those in our 10 and 2 at the end of the day again successful season but gonna be tough to stomach that michigan game especially since they're not going to get the chance to avenge it for 14 years um you wanted to bring up another team that's real that is kind of embarrassing itself by the week texas you got to see them up close you got to see sam ellinger who was in the heisman conversation early in the season throw four interceptions what on earth what's going on there yeah it just seemed like gary patterson got the best of them there's a couple of things where it it goes back to the little bit of the Sam Sam Darnold I'm seeing ghost thing, and I'm not that that Sam Ellinger said it, but their their defense has been dreadful. And in the first half, they were they played hard. And when I talked to Tom Herman coming off the field at the end of the second quarter, he was like, "I'm proud of the way they're playing." And then it just felt like TCU just kind of went after them, and and Texas didn't respond well, and. So now you have this team that's sitting there with three losses, and they still have a couple of tough games to play. I mean, I'll ask you this. We're not doing like a midseason because we're past the midseason point. But if if you were to look at who some of the more disappointing teams are, and I know they had a lot of guys to replace on defense, and they have been at a bunch of injuries in the secondary. But even still, I mean, they were fortunate to beat Kansas. I mean, where would you put, where would you put Texas on the list of d- disappointments of 2019? I think you're, I'm going to have to wait to see how it plays finishes out because I did pick them to go nine and three, and that's still in the, in the, it's still a possibility. But right now, yeah, uh, pretty high, and really, you know, kind of looks silly now. The, the sugar bowl after the sugar bowl, Sam Ellinger getting up there saying Texas is back. Uh, Texas yet again is not back. They've taken a pretty significant step backward. You and I talked about this uh, offline last week, but. Are you surprised that there aren't – he signed – what, Tom Herman signed a top three recruiting class two years ago? A couple of those guys have been immediate um, impact guys like Caden Stearns, but for the most part, this is not a Alabama-type situation where – or Derek Stingley at LSU. Like, there's not a bunch of guys out there looking like future All-Americans just yet. No, of his, of his recruits, I would say the best ones – Joseph Osai is a good young player on the defense in the front seven. They think Keandre Coburn is going to be a very good player. He plays a lot now. I mean, they're playing a lot of guys. It's just, I think, you know, this is year three, so these are a lot of his recruits. And there are some growing pains. I think more, I mean, they have a, a, a great quarterback right now. And I know Sam had a bad game, but in terms of leadership and all that he brings, they have really good receivers. I mean, Devin Duvernay, you could make a case, deserves to be on an All-America team. And Colin Johnson's healthy now and going at full force. They have a good offensive line. It's better than when it was, certainly when Charlie was there. Um, I, it's it's a little puzzling to me. Again, because, I mean, they were very fortunate. They could have lost to Kansas. I mean, they could be sitting there at 4-4 four and four right now. They're not, but they could be. And I I'm interested to see... Much like Notre Dame, I'm interested to see where they go from this. You know, I still think Tom Herman's a good coach, but uh, you know, all all what happened at TCU was, I think, all the pressure that and all the attention that had been on the defense uh, 
because they have been this is the worst statistically defense they have ever had there uh i think now it's spread a little bit it's not just the defense that people are like whoa you know what happened there because you know no the defense didn't didn't play well but it was the offense that i think really was surprising to see how they struggle like that so i'm interested to see where they go from here it was a day full of surprises in the big 12 not sure i've ever seen anything quite like this where there were four conference games and the underdogs won all four and it included one of the strangest play you speak you brought up kansas kudos to les miles and the jayhawks they go and beat texas tech uh, one more win, and they will have their winningest season in a decade. Uh, so before you get to this yeah. play, can we do this right now? I did my mea culpa. I'm sorry, Les. You're doing way better than I thought. You were way more skeptical of West Mi- Les Miles than I was at Kansas. I did a mea culpa. Now how do you feel? Yeah, I did a mea culpa in forward pass Monday for both him and Mac Brown. Mac Brown has— You need to do it on this podcast. UNC first, tied for first in its division. Uh Les did the one thing I didn't think he would do. He embraced, he, he got over whatever aversions he might have to uh, uh, running a modern 2019 offense. And not only that, went about as far kind of radical as you can in terms of firing his original offensive coordinator choice midway through the season and promoting a guy in Brent Deerman who he was at NAIA last year. We've, we talked about him, I think, on last week's podcast. He was an analyst on the staff, promotes him to OC uh, two games ago, and their offense has been just on a whole other level since. Um, so kudos to Les for doing that. It's certainly... I, was tell- I was telling somebody, Stu, I mean, between your feelings on, on Les Miles and Mac Brown, I was afraid to let you see my driver's license going forward. You know, Who knows what you're going to do? I don't get it. You're an ageist, that's what I'm saying. So. Oh... So I shouldn't I shouldn't note that Les's um, big move was firing his sixty year old offensive coordinator and hiring no, you really this younger still. guy. <laughs> it wasn't. The next time you see Dennis Dodd in a press box, there's going to be a forearm to the back of the head. That's what's going to happen. Um, it's not age. It's years removed from coaching. Uh, how they're how they were doing at the end of their last coaching stop. So far, so good. And ultimately, we don't know how he's going to do it in recruiting and how, how what this program will look like three years from now in either case. But they both have made their teams immediately better. And in, in UNC's case, they are awful the last two years under Larry Fedora. They are, uh, yes, they are four and four. Maybe that's not going to wow you. But UNC has had this crazy season where almost every game has gone down to the last play. And so they're four and four, but they lost to Clemson on a two-point conversion. They lost to Virginia Tech in six overtimes. They lost to Appalachian State on a blocked field goal. I mean, they've been in every game, and they host Virginia this week, Bruce. The ACC Coastal is about as ACC Coastal as it's ever been, if you look at the standings right now. This game between two, three, and two ACC teams is for first place in the Coastal. Um, You got me off subject. I wanted to ask you about the Big 12, where... uh, so, So the Texas Tech play... I don't even want to say the guy's names. I don't want to throw him under the bus. But they block the field goal, and uh, Texas Tech safety tries to lateral the ball. There is nobody there to lateral it to. Kansas recovers. They get to try the field goal again. They make it. Uh, So that was an upset. Oklahoma State, who is never known for defense, intercepts Brock Purdy three times in the second half to beat Iowa for, for, uh, 
for Oklahoma State to upset Iowa State, who was in the top 25 at the time. And then, of course, Kansas State over OU and TCU over Texas. Is the Big 12 title game now destined to be Baylor OU, or can anybody else, can Iowa State sneak in there? Can K-State sneak in there? Can TCU sneak in there? Oklahoma State's already got three losses, so I don't think it's going to be them. But uh, I'm fascinated to see how the rest of the Big 12 season plays out. Yeah, I wouldn't rule out anything right now. We're not even technically into November yet, and this is a wild conference. I think what's different about especially the the uh, the Pac-12 and the Big 12 from the from certainly the SEC in those two conferences, anybody really can beat anybody. Whereas in the SEC, Vanderbilt or Ole Miss or some of the bottom feeders of where the SEC is right now, they can't beat Alabama. They can't beat LSU, I don't think. Whereas it's not, I mean, it's a big surprise, but it's not like the most stunning upset in the world to see that happen in the Big 12 or the Pac-12. It just it just isn't, yeah. I think. Yeah, that's true. There's a really um, separation of the classes in the SEC right now, uh, where right now the, the, there's more drama when Tennessee plays uh, uh, South Carolina and Tennessee beats them, or... Uh, Missouri, God knows what's happened to them, loses at Kentucky than there is when Alabama, LSU. Uh, yeah, those plays teams those are teams. all to me like somewhere between four and eight and eight and four, and there isn't a huge separation between any of them. You know, whether it's the two Mississippi schools, I, I mean, Arkansas, I think, is next level bad right now, but, but to, between the two Mississippi schools, I would put Missouri. Kentucky, Tennessee, maybe Vandy in there, you know, Vandy in there. And I feel like that's what you get. You have like six or seven teams that they could lose to just about anybody, but they can beat each other. And it's not a, not that big of a surprise. All right, why don't we go to the mailbag? Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second, but I want to ask you a question. So when you're lounging out on the couch watching a day's worth of college football, what do you do for food? It's a great question and a very timely one. I When there's four games coming down to the wire at once, I don't have time to go downstairs and make something, much less go pick something up. So just this past Saturday night, I used our new sponsor, DoorDash. Click a couple buttons, and my favorite uh, restaurant that serves uh, fantastic chicken kebabs was at my door. DoorDash connects you to your favorite restaurants in your city. Not only is your favorite pizza joint already on DoorDash, but there are over... 340,000 restaurants in 3,300 cities. So you might find a new favorite too. And right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code AUDIBLE. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code AUDIBLE. Don't forget, that's promo code AUDIBLE for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. As always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. Our first one uh, gets into a team that I think both of us want to show a little bit of love to, right? Matt Blaska, who really should have given us the phonetic for his name. Matt Blaska in Bloomington, Indiana. Hi, Stu and Bruce. Love the pod. Obviously, Indiana does not get any national recognition when it comes to college football, but the Hoosiers are 6-2 and two in, or better. For the first time since 1993, won back-to-back road games in the Big Ten and are bowl eligible before Halloween. 
the excitement level for next Saturday is at an all-time high here in Bloomington. Is he referring to next Saturday's game against 1-6 Northwestern that the excitement level is at an all-time high for? Um, the remaining schedule screams eight wins. It's Northwestern at Penn State, Michigan at Purdue. And a potential Gator Bowl. Can the Hoosiers get to the next level and become a perennial mid-tier Big Ten team, fifth to eighth in the Big Ten? Shoot, aiming high there. I think Matt's right. I, you know, look, I think you both both of us have a little bit of an affinity for Tom Allen. Um, and one thing I'll say, and this is this is, I saw firsthand when they played Ohio State on the road last year. I remember seeing them. We went to to do our production meetings at at their hotel. Uh, in Dublin, Ohio, and you go out and they're they're doing their walkthrough in the parking lot, which isn't that uncommon. But see, so you're looking at them, you're kind of eyeballing them. You're like, wow, they look like they have a bunch of guards on the O line, as opposed to like a, guy, a lot of guys with a lot of length. Or they don't look like Ohio State, and nobody really does. But they also don't look like Oregon, and they have some good athletes. But it's just like. Um, when you watch them, you're like, okay, you're not going to be wowed by them. They have a couple of guys who I think are. are legit NFL guys but I think when it comes down to you watch them is they play harder than everybody else I mean and that's Tom Allen I mean I think they respond to him and he has three quarterbacks who are who are all pretty talented and I think have good expectations they have some decent skill talent but they just they just play hard and if you do that you're going to be in a lot of games and I'm not like I expect them to go eight and four now after seeing what they've done and how they've handled teams and and they've won some games on the road and they didn't you know it's like the only game that they have played where they have been really you know whipped was against Ohio State other than that you know they lost that Michigan State which you know it's not a great Michigan State team but it's not an embarrassment to lose to them um, I think he's done a really nice job there and and I hope and I saw his post-game press conference. I hope that the fans, I know it's a great basketball school with a great history. I hope the fans get out and do support them because this is a nice story. And I'm glad, glad we're giving, you know, I'm glad Matt brought it to our attention. I mean, they, they won at Nebraska. And I know Nebraska is a mess. But in, even the, the notion that the, in the past, the notion that Indiana would ever beat Nebraska in football would have seemed insane uh and they've also been i think this was a really important win for them because for the last however many years they've been the team that 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 you know um makes it close they take they have had a couple years where they where they was close against ohio state late into the game or close against michigan uh or, or one of the big name teams nebraska may not be very good but they are one of the big name teams so that was a big win for them uh, the 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 perennial mid of course that's realistic. Could the, the uh, Purdue's done it the last couple of years? You see what I mean? If Minnesota's eight zero right now, and does Minnesota have any huge decided advantage over Indiana as a football program? They've had more recent success, but I don't know that there's that much different between the two in terms of and, and football. The, and let's be honest, the schedule set up very well for them. I mean. They're getting Northwestern, who is historically horrible this year. They're getting Purdue, that's really bad. And they're getting Nebraska, that's really mediocre. So those are the three teams you're getting from the West. And then if you look at their non-conference, it's Ball State, an FCS Eastern Illinois, UConn, who's horrible. Um, so, you know, like they, they're beating who they should beat. And I think that's, you know, they're going to probably get eight wins out of it. 
By the way, uh, people who, you know how this will come up again in December, people who will complain that there are too many bowl games, that they don't mean anything, et cetera, et cetera. Look how excited Matt is about the possibility of going to the Gator Bowl. Uh, I have a good friend from college. Uh, shout out to Adam Rosner. Good friend from high school, I should say. We go way back. Uh, and he went to IU, and he's getting excited about the possibility of them going to uh, a decent bowl game. And by the way, I almost forgot. Matt said, come to Bloomington for biz fries at Nick's. I have been to Nick's when I would visit Adam in college. I've been to, I would go to Nick's. I don't remember people eating. I mostly remember everybody uh, drinking and then drinking some more. And I even have a very um, random memory of being at Nick's. Ready for this? Ready for me to date myself? Speaking of ageism. This was 1997. I was at Nick's on a Saturday night in Bloomington when I found out that Princess Diana had died. Okay. I have no, no real great context for that. So let's go on. I wonder how I found that out because we clearly didn't have phones with news on them. But I do remember that I was there. Maybe it was flashing on the TV or something. Anyway, next. James Bird song. Hey, Bruce and Stu. Following up on a question I asked. The July 23rd edition, episode 201 of The Audible. Good work, James. Uh, I had asked if it's worth taking a flyer on Minnesota to win the Big Ten at 50-1 to 1 in, in Vegas. I went ahead and did so while there. I'm potentially sitting on a nice pay- payout via hedge if they can win their division. At this point, do you think Minnesota will make it to Indianapolis? I wonder what his hedge was. Just... He he followed up with a bet on them to win the division. Well, well, Stu, what do you think? Do you are you do you think they will go? If I say yes or no, right now, you think that they're, they're going to go to Indianapolis? Yes, I do not. I do not. I I, I want to shower Minnesota with praise. I think it's so cool that they're eight zero. I PJ Fleck begging for game day to come to town. Like this is a great story, but it's a great story that's going to end into in uh, on November 9th when Penn State comes to town. You were talking about Indiana's soft schedule. Here is how Minnesota got to 8-0. South Dakota State, Fresno State, Georgia Southern, Purdue, Illinois, Nebraska, Rutgers, Maryland. It's it's the easiest possible path you could get to 8-0 being in the Big Ten. Over the last month, they will play Penn State at Iowa, at Northwestern. They will win that one. And then Wisconsin comes to town. Uh, despite what's happened the last two weeks, I still think Wisconsin ends up winning that division. So instead of showering it with praise, you are showering them with urine. Stu, not nice. <laughs> so <laughs> what a what a what a vivid and, and and out of nowhere line. What about you? Do you have Minnesota winning the West? I do not. I do not. The next month, I think is going to be rough. I think they can get to ten wins because right now your alma mater is terrible, and I. I don't know. I think, look, they could be underdogs in all three of the, the other games because it's at Iowa and it's and it's Wisconsin. The Iowa Minnesota rivalry is a very it's a very spicy one right now. So, um, I don't know. I don't think they beat Penn State. I don't think they will. But um, obviously, it comes down to Iowa and Wisconsin. There, I don't think they will be able to beat the beat the Badgers. I suspect it will be on the on the line in that game. Uh, I will at this point go with the Badgers if it is on the line in that game obviously you know who knows what the circumstances will be by then 
I do think I don't think they're going to be Penn State and Iowa. If it is, uh, what would they be? Nine and two Minnesota against nine and two Wisconsin for this trip to Indy in Minneapolis. That that could be that would be re- really wild. But as of right now, I still still would like Wisconsin's chances. Minnesota would still finish nine and three and go to a New Year's Day bowl, and that would be a really good season. Um, I hope they soak in every minute of every day leading up to that Penn State game. Enjoy it. They are 8-0 for the first time in decades, um, playing another 8-0 team. That'll be the noon ABC game. It's going to be a great doubleheader on the 9th, but they're not going to be Penn State. Okay. This question is from Evan and Charlotte. Hi, Stu and Bruce, longtime listener of the pod and a very recent subscriber to The Athletic. Really enjoy both. Thank you for that, Evan. However... I have to take with a issue with a comment Stu made in his mailbag where he said you'd quote unquote hate to see an undefeated team automatically getting slotted ahead of a one loss Oregon team without the same high end wins and Clemson was singled out. This elevated the idea that the committee should potentially rank one loss teams ahead of Clemson due to schedule strength. Otherwise, the implication was that the committee would be wasting their time. Evan points out Clemson has an average margin of victory of 28 points, which is eighth in, and is eighth in offensive efficiency per ESPN, first in defensive efficiency, and of course is the defending national champs. Wouldn't it be more of a travesty for a defending national champion to go undefeated in the Power Five plus two SEC opponents and miss the playoff due to a lack of high-end wins, which is almost out of their control, entirely out of their control? Defend it, Stu. What do you feel? Well, let, let me just make it clear right now. Clemson goes undefeated. Clemson's going to be in the playoff. There is zero doubt about it. Clemson fans are trying to get a little bit worried about it. Stop worrying about it. Clemson goes undefeated. They will be in the playoff. And partially for the reasons he's saying. They are, for the most part, with the exception of that UNC game, dominating people. Uh, my point was somebody had asked in the mailbag. Here's the context. Should Oregon get credit for scheduling that Auburn game, even though they lost that game, because if they had scheduled uh, an FCS team instead, they'd be undefeated right now, and we wouldn't even be having any debate over whether they do or don't make the playoff if they win out. And I said, yeah, they should give credit. They shouldn't be treated as a win, but it should be taken into account. That being said, Clemson did schedule Texas A&M. We don't know what their record is going to be in the end, but... That is, to me, pretty similar to scheduling Auburn for Oregon. And as much as I have made the comparison at times to 2014 Florida State, they're not that similar. That 2014 Florida State team, which going into the last week of the season, they also were an undefeated defending national champ on a long winning streak. And they at one point fell as low as fourth in the playoff rankings. And everybody was freaking out. That team was struggling to beat mediocre teams every week it was Jameis having to rally them to a last second win that has not been the case for Clemson they're doing to these teams exactly what they should be doing so I'm not worried about them getting in but I don't think you should default to first of all defending national champs should not be one of the things the committee talks about and I don't think it is and I also just think that even if you look at you should at least look at the two the one loss versus the undefeated and compare them I don't think all I said when I said um, hate to see an automatic te- undefeated team hate to see an undefeated team automatically getting slotted. That's exactly what I mean. That it shouldn't be like, well, we're going to start with them ahead because that's how you do it. Undefeated before one, you know, case by case is what I would put it. 
Um, let's end with this question from Ryan. Hi, Stu and Bruce. Listening to your discussion on the Monday pod about which group of five teams should make it to the at-large bowl, uh, to the New York Six at-large bowl, was a little uninspiring. I know this isn't an original idea, but I really think the much more enjoyable games would come from the top group of five teams playing each other rather than playing a Penn State, Florida, or LSU at the end of the year. It would be a better game to watch Appalachian State and Boise State play, or Boise State and Cincinnati play, than watch either of them play another top 10 team that they wouldn't stand much of a chance in. What? Now, I know the history of Group of Five upsetting Power Five in those games, but I just think a Group of Five playoff would be more entertaining. Am I off base here? I'd like to have both if you could. And I, I, I don't know if there's a, there's a way to, to really do it, but if I was a Group of Five, if I was connected to the Group of Five, what I would like to see is it would almost be a, a case where they may have to play an extra game, but to have the two top-ranked group of five teams play, and then if there were an eight-team playoff, I would like to see them represented in it that way. Or if there were, it, I don't even know if it was even if they expanded to six teams to get to get one have a spot because I think that I would like to see Appalachian State against the best Mountain West team or. Um, you know, the best AAC team. I, I think there is interest in that, but I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Yeah, the only, the only part of this I take umbrage uh, uh, with is, is the use of entertaining. Because, no, uh, would it be, would it be um, meaningful to watch app, the two best group of five teams play? Yes. But I can tell you right now, the ratings for that Appalachian State-Boise State game would not be anywhere near what the Appalachian State LSU game would be people want to see that group of five power five game and I don't know why he said wouldn't stand much of a chance because almost always (laughs) I feel like lately the group of five team has won more often than they haven't right whether it was UCF over Auburn uh, the first year Boise State over Arizona Houston over Florida State and so on and so forth I think where people get a little frustrated is you talk about arbitrary you know, how do you? How does the group committee decide who the best group of five team is? There, you're you're throwing darts a little bit. If if it gets to the end of the year and Appalachian State is undefeated and Boise State's twelve and one and maybe SMU's twelve and one, I don't I don't know how you decide that. So I agree with you. One game playoff for the right to advance to the New Year's Six Bowl. Hmm. Can we make that happen? I would be in favor of of that kind of matchup. Maybe did you see the weird story about how ESPN announced a sponsor for the uh, New Mexico Bowl only to find out that the company didn't yeah. actually exist? Yes. Maybe that fictional company could sponsor the our our one game group of five play in game. Maybe the Athletic could sponsor it still. Um, I have brought that up. I think the Athletic should sponsor a bowl game. It's actually much more affordable than you might think to uh, sponsor one of those lower end games. Um, my vote was actually for the one here because there was a a moment before Redbox stepped in that they didn't have a sponsor last year, and and that would have been perfect for you because you would have been the sideline reporter for your employer's bowl game. That would have been perfect. So is, there, is this getting traction? Can you at least fill us in on that? Um, no, no traction yet. Well, you know, Andy Staples and would see. love to put on like some kind of some kind of uh, optic light. Uh, floral colored blazer to walk around on Saturdays and shake hands. 
You know what is really affordable, actually? I read a story last week that to buy a 30-second ad during a game, just like a regular football game on the Big Ten Network, is like $4,000. Like, we could at least buy up all that ad space that I think right now goes to farmersonly.com and, and, and whatnot. So uh, that might be more realistic than a, than a bowl game. But to be to be continued, let's let's – and if the athletic doesn't want to do it, maybe we could just do it. The audible could be the audible bowl. Uh, okay, we'll we'll have to talk about that offline. All right, uh, we'll be back Thursday for our athletic subscriber only podcast where we give our picks for the week, including that big Florida Georgia game and uh, the game day game this week and ABC primetime game SMU Memphis. We'll see you then. How did he- If you enjoy the Audible, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review and a rating if you could, too. It helps us get the word out. Our producer is John Hayes. Our theme song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octaves. You can download their music on Spotify or Apple Music. Follow me on Twitter at SLMandel. Follow Bruce at BruceFeldmanCFB. And if you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, what are you waiting for? You can get 40% off an annual subscription by using this link, theathletic.com slash theaudible. That's 40% off your subscription to The Athletic.